than some matters, it's better to be intellectually uncertain rather than superficially sure. This will still leave us with a great deal to be certain about while maintaining a humility to learn. So that just builds nuance that as a leader, as a parent, we don't always have to say, I know the answer. In fact, it's really cool sometimes when we say, I don't know. And I learned to do that the longer I served as a bishop. And I would say to the YSA, I don't know what the right thing is. I don't know what the policy is. I don't know yet what bested thoughts to give you. And I think that's just a better place to be as a parent or as a leader. It's great to say, I don't know, when we really don't know. This episode of The Cultural Hall, you might be looking at and saying, now, haven't we visited with Papa Osler recently? Well, what I decided was, and I looked at some statistics for how long you guys were listening, is that not everyone got the opportunity to hear all about Listen, Learn, and Love with Papa Osler. We had put these at the end of a couple of articles of news episodes, and also for searching purposes in the future, I wanted to just put them all together in one episode. So if you are one of those die-hard pioneer stock members of the cultural hall, you have likely heard what I'm about to play for you. But if you haven't, or maybe you meant to go back and listen to the rest of that Articles of News where we had one of the three sections from Papa Osler, that's what this is. It's combined together three different parts. So you'll hear me within this episode reference, oh, and in the future we'll have to, no, it's all going to be together. I took the three parts and put it in this episode so that you could listen to it straight through if you haven't had the chance to do that previously. And I looked at statistics, and not all of you have. So I hope you enjoy this episode of The Cultural Hall with Papa Osler talking about his book, Listen, Learn, and Love. We're going to be visiting with Papa Osler. Now, if you don't know who Papa Osler is, we're not going to get too much into who he actually is because we've done an entire episode with him. That's episode number 230 of the Cultural Hall. I encourage you to go and listen to that so you can see where he comes from and why he does what he does. Now, Papa Osler, you have written the book, Listen, Learn, Love. It's the same title as your podcast. And I and if, and if I may, I think it's just the title of what guides your life. I'm looking forward to be able to talk to you about each of those things. And so I would love to be able to start by talking about listen. When you say listen, what do you mean? How are we not doing it? How are we doing it well? I hope that in the next 15 to 20 minutes, we can really understand this principle of listening. Um, thanks, Richie. It's always good to be on your show. Thanks for the great work you're doing. I encourage more and more people to connect with you and your ministry and the good things you're doing. Um, listen is a key part of my journey to understand LGBTQ people. I was a YSA bishop and had a, and it was the first time I listened to gay people tell me about what it was like being gay. Um, I recognized that everything I'd picked up about LGBTQ people was some straight people, and they had defined that group for me. And I needed to develop better, what I call them soft skills, to listen to people, especially people that aren't in my normal circle. And I call that, I had developed what I call, Richie, the trap of unearned opinions. I had developed a lot of opinions about groups of people without ever listening to people in that group. And I found that it's just better not to develop opinions about trans people, undocumented workers, black teenagers, women, and how they feel sometimes until you talk to people in that group. I think culturally, we um, value in men attributes of leadership that are maybe more easily seen like great talks, great writing. But I think sometimes I've never been to a training meeting, Richie, where I was taught as the priesthood leader of father how to listen. I've never had a training on that. And I, I, it's not something that I think is valued. I, when I wrote the book, I scoured church talks and ensign articles for people that talked about the importance of listening. There are some, and I put those in my book. I have a whole chapter kind of dedicated about the importance of listening as a key attribute of ministering to everybody. Uh, but I, I just think it's a, it's a really key thing. In fact, I even in my mind, and I'm not perfect on this space, Richie, because right now I'm obviously doing all the talking. <laughs> but, you know, before home teaching got renamed a few years ago, I actually renamed that program in my mind to home listening. 
I figured I would do more to help people if I just came and listened to them. And when they opened up, I didn't turn the conversation to me. If they opened up about a difficult job situation or medical situation, I didn't pivot then to use that as a chance to talk about me and my difficult medical situation or my work. I tried to develop the discipline to keep it locked on them. And I found the more I listened, the more I had spiritual and promptings how best to help somebody. If I just pivoted to giving the lesson or inviting someone as a YSA bishop to read or pray, I finally, I often miss the chance to really let the spirit work on me. Um, When I was a YSA bishop, it sometimes took multiple interviews. I would write down impressions on my notepad. I have a notepad right here. But often it would take a few visits with some of the YSAs to fully understand the totality of their situation and for them to feel safe opening up about what was really going on in their life. And that took a lot of follow-up questions. And then once I kind of understood the road they were on, that's when I'd circle back to some of those impressions I got, Richie. And that's sometimes when a priesthood blessing would be the best because I, I just felt more spiritual impressions and more um, understanding of the full situation. But that takes a lot of discipline that I'm still working is to just listen and ask follow-up questions. And even if they start talking about a difficult church situation or a hurt, you know, there's a lot of pain people have sometimes even from um, an institutional side of our church. We have difficult leadership experiences at times or difficult membership experiences. And I found listening to those and validating that those were real and sort of sit with them in their pain was help them just to move on versus dismissing it or or having them prove how painful the situation is. So that's just some thoughts for you, Richie. Well, I'm going to push back a little bit on some of the things. Um, I've sent well, us. We like that about you. <laughs> I've sent us on a fool's errand where I've said, hey, let's talk about this huge uh, principle of listening, and we're going to do it all in 15 to 20 minutes. So I'll interject and say that your book is great, that people should pick it up and, and really be able to hone in more of what we're talking about. So we're not going to get out all the principles. But there's a couple things that I think stand in the way of us listening, listening really well, just as people. You're, I mean, you've kind of put it in, in some re- constraints of like as your time in leadership and that kind of stuff. Right. But just as people, we don't listen to each other. Just as people, we don't listen to God or to the Holy Ghost very often. So this idea of listening is huge, and we we do it terribly. Now, that being said, there are some things that I think are, are hindrances to us really being good listeners. One, I don't know that we always give the other person, whether that be God, the Holy Ghost, or the other individual that we're talking to in a ministering situation or otherwise, that we give them our full attention, Right. Because they're, the phone notification goes off, because we've got to get the kid to this, we've got to, you know, this other thing, to really just be present and in the moment with the person is, I think, a big struggle. So I would be curious, I know you have a notepad, so I'm going to ask you to how we can be present in the moment, and if you'll write that down, because I want you to talk about that. The second thing is, you know, sometimes we hear things from the people that we're listening, right? We, we, we want to be better, and we hear someone say something uh, about you know, our family member, and we want to defend them. Or they say something about the church, and we feel like we need to step in and say, no, 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 you don't get it. The church isn't saying that. We need to defend that. Or even in our situation where we, you know, commune with God, there is oftentimes where we go, oh, no, 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 but wait, I need to let you know this. And we just don't really take the time to listen. So how do we, how have you, what can we learn from the book about listening that will help us to counter some of those very natural roadblocks to listening. Um, I love everything you said, and I agree with everything you said. I sometimes have two different environments I'm listening. One is where there's lots of input, and I've got kids, and I've got a family situation, and it's very, and it's hard sometimes to be present in every conversation. Plus, I'm receiving inbound messages on my phone, so I hear you on that, and it takes, sometimes I have to recognize someone's opening up with something more than just a casual sort of issue like the weather is going to be cloudy tomorrow and I'm hearing something that's important and I have to sort of hear be in a situation where then I can say to especially a child let's talk about that I need to spend time with you later I can't right now and I find I'm not very good in those situations where it's kind of chaotic communication to have meaningful conversations I have to kind of 
like we're doing here. This is a structured sort of interaction that's helpful. Mm-hmm. A bishop's interviews like that, a parent visit at lunch or in any sort of, it doesn't need to be real formal, but just where you're totally present, your phone's away and you're not, you know, and I'm sort of opening my heart to somebody and they get a message on their phone and open their phone up. That's just crushing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, because here you, so you have to sort of develop the skills to say, I'm going to be present to somebody. And even if I'm used to looking at my phone or responding to a text, I just don't do that. So I think listening is something within all of us, Richie. I think some people say, well, I can't learn people's names. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people say, I'm just not a good listener. I don't think that's true. I think you can develop the skills to be a bit good listener. It just takes effort. I, I want to read you the only poem I ever wrote, Richie, is about listening. It's on page 208 of the book. And it's, it's just, uh, if, it's, uh, if it's okay, I'll read it. I've never read it out loud. Listen. Listen deeply, listen to understand, listen without judging, listen without reacting, listen and bring hope and relief, listen to hold their pain and sorrow, listen to learn the roots of their suffering, listen and take notes of impressions, listen and ask follow-up questions, listen and become a true friend, listen and don't turn it to you, listen to what is unsaid. Listen and keep listening. Listen without agenda. Listen and validate. Listen. So just a poem I wrote. But instructive, uh, almost like a, a guideline, a, a handbook as far as, as how we can be better listeners and what the importance of it is. Let me ask you this. If I came to you and I said, hey, Richard, I really need to talk to you, or just because of how you and I are, I start opening up to you, you're in the middle of chaos. Do you suppose that it is appropriate to be like, Richie, I want you to know that I really want to have this conversation, and right now is not the time that I'm able to do it, but I would love to have this conversation with you. Can we talk at at 2 o'clock this afternoon Will that be a time that would work? And do you feel like that in those really chaotic situations, that's a, a, a great way that we can make space for those conversations? I love what you just said. And I think it's okay just to communicate up front that you're not in a situation where you can fully listen to somebody. And I think people can handle that mm-hmm. versus just sort of trying to do the best you can and kind of kicking the can down the road. I think those moments sometimes are unfulfilling and people then may not open to us again. So I love what you suggest. And I do that with the inbound social media I get that people just want to talk, especially about LGBTQ. And I just schedule time on my calendar and kind of know ahead of time, this is going to be a time where I've got to be fully present because someone's going to open up about probably complicated stuff. So that's why I manage it. And I probably could do that in my own home (laughs) with my own kids in a better way. So let me ask you this then, as you as you mentioned, so many of your opinions that you had had uh, around LGBT and the church, you were formed by those who were heterosexual, right? Who had not had any of that experience. So then you made the conscious choice, um, whether because of your, your position in the church or just because you wanted to grow and to learn, to say, I want to start listening to these people. In those first times where people are opening up to you, I have to imagine there were things that people were saying that you felt like you had to either defend who you were or defend who the church was, or they just ran counter to maybe how you felt within that moment. How did you push through that and just allow yourself the opportunity to listen to that person? What a great question, Richie. Yeah, so as I sat, as I decided to, I decided that my hard drive about LGBTQ feelings have been programmed use a computer term by straight people. So I just wiped my hard drive clean. And God said, go talk to LGBTQ people. You'll see them the way I see them and go talk to their parents. They get it. They've been walking with their kids. And as I started then to reach out to people and I knew they were LGBTQ and going to lunch and dinner, I heard really painful things, experiences they had had in the church that were very painful. And I learned, it took wasn't like day one, but I learned that I can do two things at the same time. I can sit with people in their pain and validate their pain and support and sustain the church that I believe in. I didn't have to choose between the two, and I didn't have to turn the conversation to how much I support the church. I just kept that in the back of my mind and say, I can sit with them in their pain and validate, and I don't And I recognize that if I don't validate their pain, I'm just adding to their trauma. And if they have to prove their pain to me 
And if, if I have to say, well, someone really didn't mean that, or you're overthinking that, or you shouldn't feel that way, that just adds to their pain and trauma and locks them down from opening up to me. So it's a great question you asked, and I just had to develop the discipline to just, I rarely turn the conversation and try to defend the source of the pain. I just honor the pain. And I think that's what our Savior do, Richie. I think he, I think he did that in the New Testament. He just sit with people in their pain. And he didn't need to sort of dismiss it. So then lastly, along, along that with the uh, principle of listening, as you sort of queued up at the very beginning, you mentioned occurrences where listening allowed you to know what to do to be able to help. So let's, let's open up and unlock that principle of listening within this context. If I understand the question is just the more I listen, the more I was able to help somebody. Is that yeah, right, yeah, Richie? Yeah, because so often we go, you know, we go into a conversation and we've already decided the, the solution. You know, we know what they need to do. We know that they need to read their scriptures more. They need to pray. Have you been to the temple, right? And those are in the religious confines, but just within, you know, our interactions with other people. I, I don't feel like we go into a conversation where we're trying to be there for another person, where we don't already have some sort of preconceived notion about what the conversation is going to be like, about what the other person needs to do, about what the issue is, etc. So as we, as you mentioned, you know, being open to listening to the promptings from the Holy Ghost as to what you should say, as to whether it's a blessing or that they, they come back, like how how have you been able to listen to the Spirit and to God as far as that goes, and then maybe even share an experience where you were inclined to say or do one thing, but listening drove you a different way? Let's talk about pornography Um, um, as an example. So when I was first called as a YSA bishop, that's what we talked about in those first interviews. And when I was released, uh, that's what we talked about. And and at first, I just, when the YSAs had opened about pornography, I just talk about the importance of stopping, obviously, reading their scriptures, going to church, and putting it behind them. But over time, I recognize that pornography is often like an iceberg. It's what we're, we see at the top of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. But what's really going on with pornography is what's at the bottom of the iceberg. And I learned to say, let's, okay, you're working to, you're working to end pornography. So let's put that on the shelf. Let's try to figure out what's really going on here. Because most YSAs didn't say, okay, how can I turn against God and be a bad person? I think I'll look at porn today. Mm -hmm. Um, The YSAs that were looking at porn are incredible human beings trying to do the best they can. And the longer I worked with them, the more we could kind of get at the bottom of the iceberg and realize this is a coping mechanism most of the time to deal with stress, anxiety, loneliness. And it's just another coping mechanism like eating or running or things we do to sort of deal with challenges that come into our life. And it can be, it's a sin and it can become addicting. Um, But if you kind of understand what's really going on there, it can help the YSAs kind of understand the bottom of the iceberg. And then they need a therapist to get there. Mm -hmm. Then you can really help them. And so that takes, that takes listening to really, if you just give this set pat solution to every YSA that opens up about porn. Now, sexual sin became the same way. Some YSAs were sexually active and Uh, That's a sin. That's a serious sin. But for some of the women in particular, it really wasn't about sex. It was the only, and I get, I cry every time I talk about this, Richie. It was the only way they knew how to feel loved, given what was going on in their, in their totality of their situation. Yeah, it's a sin. They recognize it's a sin. But if I just treated it the same way as another person who really wanted to break that law of chastity and did it for different reasons, so listening allowed me to understand the difference. Even though the top of the iceberg was the same, it was listening and then being open to the spirit about what was really going on here and the intent and really the heart here and what was going on. And I recognized I could significantly add to somebody's burden if I didn't really listen and be sensitive to the spirit. Such a valuable principle. It's the reason I think that it's first in the listen, learn, love. Uh, which is the name of the book written by Richard Osler. It's also the name of the podcast that he does. If people haven't ever listened to Listen, Learn, Love, tell people what they can expect from that. Well, we're trying, like you are, just to talk in a faithful way about all the complicated topics in the church. Um, It started as LGBTQ, but it's a lot broader than that. Um, Suicide, emotional illness, pornography. We've done a bunch of episodes with people working to solve porn. So it's all these subjects that members of the church want to talk about. It's hard to talk about sometimes in the walls of our church. So that's why 
you know, your guests are, you're doing a great job, Richie, and we're trying to do the same thing. It's called Listen, Learn, and Love. You can pick up that book. I'll leave a link in the show notes with this episode uh, so that you can just click on that and purchase the book and also a link to the podcast. Uh, it's Papa Osler. That's what I like to think of you as. I had a papa. He's since passed, but he was someone that I could sit down and talk to just about anything. And I knew at the end of that conversation that I he would still love me just as much as he did at the beginning of that conversation. The Cultural Hall is proud to announce its partnership with Deseret Book. If you go to theculturalhall.com, you can see a graphic on the right-hand side. It actually links you to Deseret Book bookstore and uh, all of the books that we have featured here in the cultural hall there's a link and you can get 15 percent off any of those books that have been featured here in the cultural hall now if you don't use the link at the culturalhall.com uh remember the uh promo word richie it's my name r-i-c-h-i-e be sure you use that when you go to checkout it will save you 15 percent as well so i would recommend in case you just can't spell or you're nervous about remembering to do it, uh, go to theculturalhall.com, look for that Deseret book graphic, click on it, and then you'll get that 15% off any of the books that are featured. Or just use Richie at checkout. Uh, such a great opportunity and really, really thankful to be partnering with Deseret Book. I hope that if you shop Deseret Book that you will use the pass code, the promo code, the code of codes, Richie, R-I-C-H-I-E. Hey, this is Dan, the Laptop Man from PC Laptops. Friends, I know a lot of you guys and girls are working from home. So here's some tips for making sure your computer's ready for working at home, because if your computer fails, it's going to be really hard to get it fixed because of dwindling supply and parts. But we have parts right now, and we have a limited supply of new computers available for you. Make sure your computer is healthy and virus and malware-free. Hackers are trying to infect people and stealing their information during these challenging times. We'll scan the health of your computer for viruses and malware, Plus, scan your hard drive, memory, and components to make sure you don't have any failing parts. You want to make sure you have strong antivirus and malware protection software as well. Just get into any PC laptops and we'll check your hardware and your software and scan your computer for viruses for absolutely free. Just go to PCLaptops.com. At PC Laptops, we've been serving you for over 28 years, and we've got your back during these times of need. We're all in this together, so just go to PCLaptops.com and we'll get you taken care of. Joined again by Papa Osler himself, it's Richard Osler from Listen, Learn, Love. That's the title of his book and also the title of his podcast. Now, if you haven't gone back and listened to the third part of an Articles of News where he talks all about the importance of listening, be sure that you check that out. They're not going to be uh, mutually exclusive. You can listen to this episode and not have listened to that, and I think you'll still gain a great deal from this conversation. But encourage you because listen in so many ways is that first step. Uh, to go back and check that out. Uh, we're talking all about learning, Richard, and so I'm curious as to as to what you mean when we when we say listen, learn, love. What is that learn part of this? Learn is once is to be willing to set aside past assumptions and in an effort to not add to the burdens of others and actually lift the burdens of others. So I've recognized I'm nearly 60 that I have picked up things in society and in my life that if I continue to hold on those beliefs. I'm adding to the burdens of others, especially LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Okay, so wait real quick before you move on. You're being vague. I'm going to ask you to use me uh, use from your life an actual example of what we're talking about. I'll do that right now. Okay. Um, I felt <laughs> at 59, I grew up in the 80s, and that was, you know, I was in high school in the late 70s, and that's when I first became aware of gay people. Okay. And I had... I held a belief for many years, maybe a couple decades, maybe longer, maybe three or four decades, that gay people chose to be gay and that then they could unchoose this. And I just cringe every time I say that out loud, because if there's people listening, please, you need to get away from that belief. I, after meeting with hundreds of LGBTQ people and listening to their stories, no one would ever choose this, Richie. It's, it's a brutal road in our church and society. No one would ever choose to be LGBTQ. And our church does not teach that. Our church teaches that sexual orientation is not a choice. And people come that way. And I think science is our friend to help us understand. I don't think God looks at anybody that's LGBTQ and says, oh, no, what went wrong? Um, I'm surprised here. You're LGBTQ. I think this is part of the beautiful diversity that's needed that Paul talks about in Corinthians 12, 
um, the body of Christ and how all parts are needed. Now, it's the second part of that is that if someone could choose this, they could unchoose this. So I, I thought, okay, they don't come this, they may have, they may be gay, and, but they can do something to unbecome gay. And right. I'm just talking orientation. Sure. So I've always read that the atonement of Jesus Christ has, is limitless. So I've always thought, well, if someone just uses the atonement that ha- feels gay, they can feel straight. And it wasn't until I listened to LGBTQ people and the prayers that they've, you know, the deals they've made with God, take my arms, take my hands, I'll serve this mission and I'll double serve. I'll get up at 4 a.m. for two years. Just, I want to be straight when I get on that plane coming home Mm -hmm. and they're not. And so I look at the atonement of Jesus Christ. I'm blue eyed. I can't use the atonement, Richie, to become brown eyed. Right. And so that's the way I look at it. These are hardwire attributes that are part of us. And they're all beautiful. Every part of everybody is beautiful. No one should feel shame for any part of how they're created. So that's, and I'm still repenting for that. I think that's partly what I became an ally is I recognize the mistakes I had made and I'm paying penance in some ways with what I'm doing now to just lift the burdens of, or to help others not make the same mistakes I've made. Mm-hmm. And I apologize for everything I've done in this space, the high school friends I pulled away from, the, the feelings I had. I went to my 40-year reunion, and there was a gay high school um, friend who was not there because he died. And, and he was on the tribute wall in our slideshow. And I just, I didn't know how to be an active Latter-day Saint and be kind to a gay person in high school, Richie. And this millennial generation, this Gen X, that's a no-brainer. They just love everybody. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's an improvement and a better matching of what Christ taught. So those are a couple examples. I love a couple quotes that I put in the book. I'll read a couple of them to you. One is from S. Michael Wilcox, one of my favorite institute teachers. He said, in some matters, it's better to be intellectually uncertain rather than superficially sure. This will still leave us with a great deal to be certain about while maintaining a humility to learn. So that just builds nuance that as a leader, as a parent, we don't always have to say, I know the answer. In fact, it's really cool sometimes when we say, I don't know. And I learned to do that the longer I served as a bishop. And I would say to the wise, I don't know what the right thing is. I don't know what the policy is. I don't know yet what bested thoughts to give you. And I think that's just a better place to be as a parent or as a leader. It's great to say, I don't know when we really don't know. Um, here's another quote, one of my favorite from Elder Uchtdorf. It's in a worldwide training, so it's not a quote that's real well known, but it's in the book and it's reference. We can block the growth and knowledge our Heavenly Father intends for us. How often has the Holy Spirit tried to tell us something we needed to know, but couldn't get past the massive iron gate of what we thought we already knew? <laughs> I just think of these massive iron gates of what I thought I knew about transgender people, Mm -hmm. that this was just Satan deceiving people into being trans. And this was a sign of the last days. And then I went and talked to trans people and heard their stories. And my heart just grew. And I realized that I was getting past the massive iron gates by sitting with trans people, which was what Christ did in his ministry. He went and met with all the people that were marginalized, not by him, but by society, mm-hmm. and were pushed to the fringes. And, and you've got to understand gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria is real. It's the pain. It's the mismatch between your biological sex and how you feel. And that's pain. And so people want to deal with that pain, and they want to transition to some extent. And we, that's a whole separate subject. But that's yeah. kind of some thoughts to answer your question. There are some things that I don't understand. And part of the reason why I don't understand them is I have never tried to learn about them. Like, you know, I can remember an early episode where we had someone who is transgender on the show. And I started that episode and I said, I have no idea about any of this. I, I You did uh, the episode. Yeah, That's the cool thing. But how many of us, because, you know, maybe it's uh, gender dysphoria or transgender or even just uh, um, gay or, or bisexual or lesbian, right? We, we just don't, under, we don't understand it or we just haven't given place to even learn about it. I think that there's a responsibility for us to even just learn about that. When we talk about the, you know, the mourn that the, with those that mourn, comfort those that need and comfort, 
I think there's also, like, if I can, and I'm not, but if I can shoehorn another part into that scripture, is like, learn about those that we need to learn about, right? Like, learn about everyone. We can't love everyone if we don't know what everyone is, means, you know, what, what, what that entails. I just agree with everything you said. And one of the big paradigm shifts for me is I just, I had heard of LGBTQ people, this is under the umbrella of LEARN, as they were defined in my brain from everything I'd heard as this outside group of people that posed a threat. And they were sort of the bad people out there that were trying to take away everything that I held. And then when you have priesthood responsibility for a gay Latter-day Saint sitting next to you and bearing his heart to you, everything shifts. And I would just include your listeners to not think of LGBTQ as this outside group, but think of them as your family, yeah. your friends, your coworkers, and everything you say about this subject. There may be closeted LGBTQ people, your own children. 4.5% of the American population identifies as LGBTQ. If we assume that was true for the whole worldwide population of the church at 16 million, that means over 700,000 of our own people mm-hmm. identify as LGBTQ. That would fill Lavelle Edwards Stadium over 10 times with our own people that are LGBTQ. So we just have a responsibility because they're our own people or mm-hmm. just part of the human family to do what you said is get some basic education. Go to the church's website if you want to start there, just what the church teaches. Because I didn't even know, Richie, what the church taught because I just... I had picked up things the church had taught in the past that they don't church. The church has changed its teachings, mm-hmm. and I want to be clear about that and not sort of push that under the rug. Um, the church has changed, and the church probably will continue to receive further light and knowledge on this subject. But I encourage listeners to your listeners to read my book. It's a desert book. It's on Amazon. It's called Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, and it really helps us to bear, mourn, and comfort and not make the same mistakes I made. I wrote it for future parents and future local leaders, so they don't do what I did. <laughs> so, so let me ask you, though, was it not until you became uh, a bishop and had stewardship over young single adults, um, gay and straight, that you had even considered this marginalized group of people? Yeah, I mean, it started a little bit. I was Our mission president was in his 30s when he served as our mission president. So 30 years later, he's only 68. We decided to do a 30-year reunion. And I got an impression to do that and get everybody together. And I went. that's how I got on Facebook and good at Facebook. And I found Elder Van Pletsen one day on Facebook. And we had never connect. I mean, we were pre-Facebook mission Mm -hmm. in 1980. So we had all lost track of each other. And Facebook came alive. So I found Elder Van Pletsen on Facebook one day, and I thought, oh my gosh, he's an Episcopal priest in a same-sex marriage. I thought, well, this isn't what we taught in England. Yeah. <laughs> and, as I, <laughs> and as I scrolled down his Facebook page to his own congregation, he kept sending him links to the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, um, the Easter concerts and the Christmas concerts. So I thought, well, I told President Ivory, our mission president, and he did say, well, I'd invite him and invite his husband too. And so we did. And I just got to, I looked at our mission president basically saying, no one's going to be the outside of the circle of our family reunion. Yeah, he's concerned about somebody outside the doctrine of our church, but he wanted him and his husband there. And then I got to know Blaine better. And I went and visited him eventually his parish church. And that was part of a little bit of my journey that one of these gay men showed up in my office, Richie, and just, I was I was past, I wanted to walk past Elder Uchtdorf's massive iron gate because I'd had this experience with Elder Van Pletsen where it was less black and white. I thought everybody that was gay and left the church and was same-sex marriage, hated the church, right. hated God, wanted the church to fail. But Elder Van Pletsen taught me differently. Um, he, he really loves the church. Him and his husband watch conference <laughs> and he's an Episcopal priest. And I just, I realized there's nuance around this and I wanted to more understand so this has been something that uh, obviously, you know, I recognized with the other day. You have over 300 episodes of Listen, Learn, Love, the podcast. You've written a book about it. What are you finding yourself learning today in this time? It's it's a continual process. What have you learned most recently that has either surprised you or strengthened you or changed a perspective or or whatever? What are you learning now that you could not have learned when you first started into this journey? 
That's a good question. I've got four different thoughts that come in my mind. One of the things I'm seeing in the church on LGBTQ is, is younger LGBTQ opening up earlier and their internalized homophobia because they're not as hearing as many negative messages in society and family and church. They're owning this part of themselves earlier. Um, I'm, I write a missionary who's serving right now. He is out as gay to everybody before he served. He's out as gay to his missionaries, to his mission president. His mission president wants him to do training in the mission about what it's like to be gay. Wow. And uh, yeah, I say, wow, too, Richie. What an incredibly courageous young man. And, but I think he got to this point of acceptance. His own internalized homophobia, he got through that quicker. And he realizes God loves this part about him. Mm-hmm. And he shouldn't be ashamed about it. So he's owning it. And he's and the and the fellow missionaries are in a better spot than they were ten years ago, where they're not making gay jokes the whole time, right? And they're and they're not weirded out if their companion's gay. They just have better tools as straight missionaries to go. This is one of God's sons, and I'm going to be his companion, his friend, and this is not weird to me. I was taught to punch somebody on my mission if he was gay. Wow. Now, and so I'm seeing a big shift in younger LDS LGBTQ people doesn't mean they're going to leave the church if they just own their orientation. I think it helps them to own their relationship with God. And re- and then that's probably the key thing when I meet with a younger LGBTQ person is God loves this about you. You've got to have a great personal relationship with your heavenly parents. They will help you navigate this. And I think they're more likely to just make thoughtful decisions. Some leave the church. Sure. That's just the reality of being LGBTQ and LDS. But some stay if they have a feeling of belonging and people like them are welcome and needed. Um, so that's there's a lot of work at our BYU, at BYU Hawaii, BYU Idaho, and BYU about this subject. Many of the administration and honor code people are reading this book and other books. I think there's a real desire within leadership of a church right now to understand LGBTQ people. I think there's a tremendous amount of power. You talk about, um, you know, these people staying within the church, but I think, you know, very real within this conversation is people staying around in life, right? Where they, if they feel shame, there's, you know, this connection with LGBT youth and suicide within the church. And, and if they feel understood, if they feel heard, if they feel loved, if they feel needed... I mean, even if ultimately they end up leaving the church, which P.S. heterosexual people leave the church all the time as well, (laughs) uh, that it is far less likely that they are going to take their life by suicide. And and I think that that that's a tragedy that I mean, we could talk for hours about the relation between some of the things that we've been talking to and that. It's awesome also to know that you, as, as someone who spends his time and his space within this, are constantly learning as well, right? That just as much as that iron gate could have kept you out from this learning, there is, for a lot of people, the natural tendency to say, I've learned it all, I know it all, put that gate up, and then we stop learning and, and growing as far as that goes. It's unfortunate. I don't recommend it. But, but we, as, as a people, kind of go, yeah, I'm at that point. I've learned enough. I know enough, and I, I would contend that we don't ever know enough, and we've never learned enough. I, I love that, and I, I, and I think we've said this, but if I think it's better, I, I don't think any of our listeners, your listeners, my listeners, we want to make a requirement they have to learn everything about every LGBTQ letter and every situation, but I think we can say don't pass opinions on a group of people until it's either learn about them or at least just don't say anything about them. Right. And, rec- and just be honest, I don't know anything about trans people, so I'm not going to, I mean, if that's, I now, we, neither of us would say that because we met with trans people, but right. but it's easy to point to Satan and it's the last days and things we don't understand is because of Satan. And some of that could be true, but let's don't do that just as a way to keep ourselves kind of emotionally safe and locked behind the massive iron gate. Because learning about trans people has only increased my faith in the goodness of humanity and God and his beautiful plan. Versus made me think Satan is increasing his attacks on us. Uh, The second part of this whole discussion, talking about learning. The book is called Listen, Learn, and Love, available on Amazon. You can also get it at Deseret Book. There's a link in the show notes with this episode. Like I mentioned at the start of this, if you have not gone back and listened to that first discussion about listening, 
Make sure you pick up that earlier episode and check that out. And spoiler, there will be a future episode where Richard and I will talk about love, how we can love, love in this space, what it means, maybe what it doesn't mean. Uh, That's going to be a future episode with Papa Osler. Listen, learn, love. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. We are now completing the first time we have ever done a series here in the Cultural Hall. And uh, Papa, Richard, I have to tell you, I have enjoyed this. This may be something that I do again in the future. So if you write another book, I hope that there's three words in the title so I can do a series with you. As far as that goes, uh, we are talking about listen, learn, and love. If you have not gone and listened to the listen episode, it seems like I'm saying listen a lot, uh, make sure you check that out. That's a previous episode. I'll leave that link in the show notes. If you haven't listened to the learn portion of this discussion, also a previous episode where we spend about 20 minutes with each of these subjects and talking about really what it is, what it means to listen and to learn, how we can be better about it, uh, how it's personally impacted both Richard and I, uh, in our path, in our journey, and what we do, and also the need for it, how we really, hopefully I'm not speaking um, for you, but that you would agree with that it really is sort of God's calling that we've kind of taken on some of these listen, learn, love principles and and trying, if if only for us, but hopefully for others, to really become better with it. So now we get to maybe the hardest one. Uh, sometimes it feels like the hardest one for me, love. So here we go. You ready to talk about love? You bet. It's always good to be on your show, Richie. You do a great job, and it's so it just feels so easy to talk to you. So thank you for the work you're doing. Now let me ask you: Is it hard for you to love? Um, my heart has expanded as LGBTQ people have come into my life, so it, it's easier for me to love everybody than it was five or ten years ago. I just and yeah. it's part of our beautiful doctrine unique to our church is that everybody I see is my spiritual brother or sister from heavenly parents. If I go to that 40,000 view of the human family, it's easier to love. I, you know, in Moses 7, 33, we have these two great commandments, to love the Lord with all thy heart, love thy fellow men as thyself. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've always felt like culturally, but not doctrinally, we sometimes rank those. <laughs> so, okay. I love God. Sure. And I love my fellow men, and that's a secondary commandment. But in Moses 7, it says, Unto thy brethren I have said, and I also give a commandment, that they should love one another, and that they should choose me, their father. So in that example, they're reversed. Because hmm. we're instructed first to love one another, and then choose me, their father. Now, I think we've complicated all of this. I just think they're one co-equal commandment to love the Lord with all thy heart and love thy fellow men as thyself. I think the really the way we activate our love to Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Parents, is how we treat others. Mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, that's the way, that, it's just like as a parent with six kids, the way my kids show me they love me, I don't really need a lot from them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but how they treat each other and how they support each other and how they love each other is really how they show their love to me. So I think our great heavenly parents cry when we don't love each other more than if we like don't pray. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, sure. I, maybe I shouldn't have said it quite like that. They want us to pray to them. But um, sometimes we create these false dichotomies. I do want to be clear with your listeners. I think we should pray to God. Yeah, I understand. They, do, they are sad. but pe- People understand I, where you're coming from. It's all right. right. It's all right. But I think we create this false dichotomy in our brain sometimes that to fully love and follow God, we have to stop loving some of his children. Hmm. And I think that is a false dichotomy because everything I read in the scriptures, and I had this pool of Bethesda painting, Carl Block hanging a copy. I can see it right now. And Christ is at the pool of Bethesda, and he's with all the people who have been marginalized by society. 
And his hand is actually taking me to somebody who's covered himself with a pool of Bethesda under a tarp. Mm-hmm. And Christ is lifting that tarp and his hand is, is lit in the painting. It's the focus of the painting. And that painting, a bigger version, is in the Salt Lake Temple. And I stand in the Salt Lake Temple and I'm looking at that painting. I think, who is that person in my life? Mm. And so I just think in Mormon culture, we've created this feeling that we can't get too close to LGBTQ people. And Temple Recommend Question 7 used to say we shouldn't even associate. Now that's taken out. And there's and because I think Christ taught that we should be with everybody. And I think Latter-day Saints want to be with everybody. So I just invite listeners that there's no, you know, just be with the human family. If you find yourself in situations you don't want to be in, that's fine. Pull away from them. But don't just pull away from everybody that's different from you. Um, some people say, well, how should I handle attending a gay wedding? Um, doesn't that mean I'm condoning or I'm supporting something outside of my church? And in the book, um, Listen, Learn, and Love that we talked about, there's some great quotes from um, Elder Renlund talking about, I go out to dinner with people that drink alcohol. What do I do during that experience? Do I get in their face and remind them about the word of wisdom? No, I just kind of let the reality of their life be different than my own. And a mother of a gay child talks about in the book, she has a story. She says, would we go to um, the baptism service of our dear friends that are Catholic and they're baptizing their infant baptism? Would we even worry that somebody might see us there? Or would we even maybe mention on social media that we attended um, a Catholic service for an infant baptism? And she kind of makes the point, none of us as active Latter-day Saints would probably be nervous about that. Right. Then she goes on to say, that's a doctrine that's condemned in the Book of Mormon, infant baptism. Mm -hmm. And we don't sort of like get all upset about that. Her point is, let's just allow, if someone feels their path is a same-sex marriage, and it even might be someone in our family or friend, we can just support them in their decision. It doesn't mean that we don't support our doctrine or that we're not standing up for truth. We're just allowing the reality of their life to be different than our own. And we're supporting them in the decision that they feel is best for them. And so that's been the most complicated space often for active Latter-day Saints is how do I handle people that are going to go off into a same-sex marriage? And I've had people on the podcast in same-sex marriages. And the reason I've done that, they're supportive. They're, they're not, they're, a lot of them are actually trying to continue to attend church. So they're, and I've wanted to humanize people that have left the church, so to speak, in same-sex marriages, because they're still the same human family. They're still my brother and sister. And hearing those stories, sometimes some of those guys that are celibate and in the church are the hero one day. We kind of put them on a pedestal and say, this is the way to do it. Be celibate the rest of your life. You know, I'll go home to my wife and kids and you kind of do this celibate thing and um, you'll be the hero and we'll put you up on a pedestal. But if they feel like eventually they need a life partner, Let's don't make them the villain the next day. Let's just recognize they're the same human person trying to do their best they can in almost an impossible situation. And let's support them if they feel that's their path. So that's the, that's a really complicated. Um, but the doctrine of love and the doctrine of Christ's example to me is just we love the Lord with all our heart. and We love our fellow men as ourselves. Um, I love this quote from Elder Ashton that's in this book of mine. Um, the best and most clear indicator that we're progressing spiritually and coming into Christ is the way we treat other people. Chapter two of my book is using Christ's teachings to support LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And it's really talking about, you know, what we do to love people that are different than us. And, and not just make that up because it's a nice idea, but you actually use what Christ taught. Under the, you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. And so I, and I think Latter-day Saints actually want to love everybody. Right. It comes naturally. They want to support everybody, but they sometimes worry if I go to that gay wedding or I, you know, I put my arm around that woman that just had a child out of wedlock, or I talk to that person about their tattoo, that somehow I'm condoning a behavior outside of my church teachings. But I think we just, and Temple Recommend Question 7 changed. We can, I think, support and be kind to everybody. I mentioned at the beginning of this conversation about love that it's something that I struggle with. And I, I want to clarify because I don't feel like I struggle with, you know, I have plenty of friends who are gay and, and uh, plenty of friends who have had kids out of wedlock. And any of these sort of indication, you know, tattoos, all the things that we would say are sort of 
counter or in a lot of ways, I don't even know that they would be counter to the churches, right? It's just whatever their experience is. I don't feel like I'm ever a judger of persons. I'm just like, yeah, no, you're welcome. You're part of the, the, the family. You're part of the table. But I, I feel like there is almost an action with love that maybe I don't always do, right? There's a tolerance or an acceptance. But when I hear love, loving everyone, love God, love your neighbor. Like to me, I, I don't know. I feel like I've, I have rested in the part of not doing anything detrimental towards anyone. You know, I'm not, I'm not punching a person or being like, oh, this person is doing these things. I'm not doing any of that. But I feel like there is a second part of that, that love is an action to a group, to a people, to a person, to a family, to God, I feel like there's an action, and and that's where I feel like, man, I I still have so much to learn about this. You got a great heart, Richie, and for your listeners, I think you can't do everything. So some, I don't want any listener to get overwhelmed with I've got to love every. I think it's fine just to act on your baptism covenants, to bear more in comfort, and follow spiritual impressions to maybe help a marginalized group or take on a social issue. Most a lot of millennials and Gen Zs. They look at their faith and say, what's it doing for the most marginalized groups of people? They look at their baptism covenants and saying, what am I going to do, not for the most privileged people, but for the most marginalized people? And they kind of are wired to be an LGBTQ ally or help Black Latter-day Saints or environmental issues or women or undocumented workers. I think that's an owning of the gospel of Jesus Christ and rooted in love. The law of love, to me, is this non-transactional way of living that it's not like the boy scouts where i earn a merit badge it's i just i'm doing this not because i'm trying to please god or because i'm trying to work out my own salvation i'm just doing because it's the right thing to do and that to me is the purest form of love it's charity it's and elder uchtdorf i'll read this from my book Um, this is elder uchtdorf because love is the great commandment it ought to be the center of everything we do in our family in our church callings, in our livelihood. Love is the healing balm that repairs rifts in personal and family relationship. It is the bond that unites families, community, and nations. Love is the power that initiates friendships, tolerance, civility, and respect. It is the source that overcomes divicity and hate. Love is the fire that warms our lives with unparalleled joy and divine hope. Love should be our walk and talk. Um, and I go on to quote a tweet by Harper Don Forsker, and I read on Twitter, we need members of the church need to stop focusing on we need to love people because our love will bring them back to the church and instead focus on we need to love people because they deserve to be love, loved. And I love that. I love non-agenda love, mm-hmm. that I don't love my non-Mormon neighbor because I have an agenda to bring him to church. I just love my non-member neighbors because they deserve to be loved. And as I just love them, I sense that if they are open to what's really going on in their life, they'll open up to me because I, and maybe as people open up to me and that happened with the YSAs, I was able to help them see how the gospel of Jesus Christ could help them. But they had to kind of feel that unconditional non-agenda love that I think Christ communicated. So love to me is, sometimes we say the first law of heaven is obedience. I don't want to debate that, but law, love, the first Love is really up there, and it's it's the thing that heals us. It's the thing that brings us together. Perfect love casts out fear. Richie, my level of fear, and now compared to eight years ago, is so different. It's so much lower. Um, I don't fear my human family. There are really bad people out there, obviously, that want to, you know, rob me and potentially kill me. But just to pin it on a group of people or a um, a race or a category, that's just unfair. And I think it's because, and I still have work to do, I've gotten to know people that are outside of my circle. And, and some people are wired just to do that. But I think I'd encourage more of us to do that. The Black Lives Matter movement is something that resonates with me. To me, that's not a threat of the nuclear family. It's not Marxism. It's not socialism. Those are terms that have been radicalized to kind of polarize that movement. To me, Black Lives Matter is just you know, all lives matter, but all, all lives need to be pulled back into moral inclusion. So I think we have a special responsibility for Black Latter-day Saints and Black people in general as a white person 
to pull them back into full moral inclusion because they've been marginalized for so long, even within our own church. So all lives matter is fine, but it, it diminishes my responsibility for a group of people that are still marginalized and have, and have been the victims of, of racism. And and to speak to your previous point where, you know, just, lo- just loving, non-agenda love is, I mean, we can root it out. I see this. So my wife is not a member of the church, and uh, it is fascinating for me to see people whom, and well-intentioned, you know, I'm not making any sort of slight against anyone, but who, whether it's the missionaries when they're new in the area, and she comes to church with me, you know, when we had church, when that was a thing that we would go to. But she's on the Zoom call with me for church. So for all intents and purposes, she's a mem- an active member of the church. But when people will reach out to her with, a, hey, let's get you to be baptized. Would you like to, you know, would you like to have the discussions or they want something from her? She it, it is it is classic for me and and almost humorous, if I can say that far the way that she will be drawn to the people who I know just genuinely love her, care for her. And just want her to know that she's loved. And those people who have, uh, hey, we really think that you should do this, so I'm going to be kind or I'm going to reach out to you. The difference is stark, and I had never seen that before. But people know. Marginalized groups know if we if we just think we should be reaching out to them or if we are really trying to learn, know, love, and understand them, hear them. And I love that you talk about your wife, and I love... I mean, I used to see people outside of our church in need of rescue, and I just see them as the same human family now. And I just, I recognize there's people that aren't in our faith that are very happy. I've some of these binary narratives I don't buy into. Now, there are people outside of our faith that are having great lives and are contributing significance to society. And yep. I'm just going to leave all this judging to God, and my job is to love. When I got out of the judgment world and got out of trying to measure people by the standards that are I'm measuring myself by. That was so relieving, Richie. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a, a Facebook post that went viral. It's the most viral Facebook post I ever did. It was, is she wearing her garment in that wedding photo? <laughs> and I basically said, I'm not going to look at LDS women's wedding photos and try to figure out if they're wearing their garment, because that just causes me to not see the beauty of their marriage and the beauty of who they are. And it's a judging thing to me that's causing me not to love. And it's relieving just to love people. You talked about suicide for LGBTQ. And let me just read a quote because the book, the proceeds from the book are actually going to foundation of a gay LDS teenager who died by suicide. And that's probably the primary reason I wrote the book is, and I'm glad you brought that up. Brene Brown says, not belonging, and think about LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, not belonging or physiological isolating is the most terrifying and destructive feeling a person can experience. It's not the same as being alone. It's the feeling that one is locked out of the possibility of human connection and powerless to change the situation. Physiological isolation can lead to a sense of hopelessness and desperation. People will do almost anything to escape this. So when I read that for the first time, it just helped me to understand better what a gay Latter-day Saint feels or a lesbian that just locked out of the possibility of companionship or human connection. And so what do we do? We just empathize, we mourn, we comfort, we validate how painful their experience is. I invite every LGBTQ Latter-day Saint to stay in, the, stay in our church and to hold to our restored truths that are beautiful. But if they feel their past is the same-sex relationship. They're not necessarily proactively leading their church. They just they just feel their path as the same-sex relationship. I will support them. I won't I won't proactively invite them down that road, and say. But I will support them, and I'll just encourage them to live every other covenant they can live, because I recognize if I'm just kind and nice, they're more likely maybe not to get angry at the church and angry at me, and angry at God, and they're more likely to live a really responsible life even if they're not living that covenant of the law of chastity, they could live every other covenant. So that's a little bit of just love and trying to have a sense of belonging and, and helping people not choose suicide as a way to end this isolation. You know, it's uh, it's been too long since we've visited. 
Uh, we need to do this a little bit more frequently, but if you have not gone back and listened to the listen and learn parts that we did in previous episodes, the name of the book is Listen, Learn, Love. We've been visiting with Richard Osler. You can pick up that book. There's a link in the show notes or you can find it on Amazon or Deseret Book. And uh, you can also listen. You do your uh, your podcast a couple times a week, right? Yeah, we do a lot of them right now. Yeah. So we'll probably do too many. I don't yeah. know how to manage this. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, I mean, there's so there's so much to share, and every story is so individual. I I empathize and and feel a hundred percent what you're talking about. Oh, well, I should probably slow this down a little bit. Is everyone listening? But the stories just need to be shared. Yeah, and you're a mentor to me, Richie, because you've been in this space longer than I am, and someone that kind of tucked me under my wing when I first stepped in this space and supportive of what I did and brought me on your show and just helped me understand that this is an important space. So I'm grateful for you and you've helped me and, and hundreds and hundreds of others. So you've got this ministry doesn't show up on LDS tools. If I go to LDS tools in your ward or stake, it doesn't say what you're doing, Richie. And that's true of a lot of people in the church yep. that are serving in ways that doesn't really, it's kind of under the radar map and a lot of people but I'm thankful for what you do and all the listeners that are likewise serving in ways that don't really show up sometimes are totally understood. You're, it's what you do is really needed. Appreciate what you do as well. Richard Osler, Papa to me. He's Papa to me. Uh, you can I'm old him. enough to be your Papa. Yeah, well, <laughs> listen, <laughs> I don't believe it for one second. Thank you so much for taking the time. You bet, man. Save me a seat. It's sure to be neat. Oh. 